That's one small step for brands. One giant leap for brand kind. You're listening to Food Chain, presented by Perfy. A big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Hit the link in the show notes and use promo code PERFY for 15% off today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Food Chained. Today's guest, we've got Tom Shea, co-founder and chief revenue officer at Agile Media Group. Welcome to the show, Tom. Yeah, stoked to be here. was almost going to don my nice food all blinged out chain, but yeah, Amazon took a little delay on the order for that. Yeah, I, like my accomplice, 2 Chains, has that. We'll hit you up on Etsy. Okay, um, thanks. But it's actually a play on uh, the food chain, like that we're chained to the food chain. There's a bunch of news coming out about terrible things in the food chain and fun stuff to talk about for uh, certain episodes. But Tom, before we jump in, I'd love to know about your history and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it's a, it's a long winding story, which I'm sure is true of most other founders that are in the space, but, um, got our start back in 2018 was working full-time in a company called McMaster car and doing business school nights and weekends in Chicago. I had just moved to Chicago with company, met my co-founder, Max Flannery, and we were working on a completely different model. So we were working on digital screens on the back of trucks, and I wrote some software to make them time location and contextually aware. So we had this idea of like, oh, this truck's going down the road. It's passing exit five, advertise McDonald's, this exit off here, help with that awareness. And then the second it passed exit five, switch to whatever's off exit six. And so we had the good fortune of getting into the University of Chicago's new venture challenge startup accelerator, which is where Foxtrot, Venmo, and a couple other startups were incubated. And and there were two fundamental issues with that business. One, because we were doing digital screens and all this interactive technology, the CapEx was insanely high. So people were like, listen, dude, there might be something here, but you're going to need about $80 million just to figure out if there's something here. And the second thing was we knew nothing about marketing, we knew nothing about trucking. And what we had not really thought through very well is when you're trying to sell into franchises, they have media dollars allocated at the national, regional, and local level for marketing spend. So this dream scenario of like, oh, cool, we'll get McDonald's and our is like all these different chains, you can vie for a national budget until you had nationwide scale. And that goes back to, hey, you need a ton of CapEx. And there's creative finances just to get there. But ultimately, we took that feedback and listen, just prove that people want to buy truckside advertisements. And so we simplified the model, made it static vinyl. So wrapping last mile delivery trucks, ones that stay in a specific market. And then we sort of just stuck in the ring long enough to realize that what people actually wanted to solve for was attribution. And that's when I think we really started to find product market fit. We simplified the product on the surface, then really leaned into the technical complexities on the back end, be able to solve for the customer journey from an offline media exposure to an online or in-store purchased event. And last mile delivery trucks was a white space opportunity. There's a few other that we have our eyes on. Scaffolding is one we've been talking about a lot lately. You know, there's a huge market for those wheat pastings people put on construction sites and stuff like that. So why not scaffolding? If you can measure it, you can price it. And so that sort of led us to where we were today. We raised this a small family and friends round of about $300,000, got to a couple hundred thousand in sales off of that and went out to try to raise a more institutional formal round. And fortunately, we're able to 
be successful in that pursuit. And fast forward today, we're about a year post funding, have probably worked with about a hundred or so different CPG brands, most of which have had measurement attribution elements. And um, I'm pretty proud to share that 90% of those brands were their first time out of home investment. I think it sort of put it closer to parity with the other formats people have grown accustomed to, like the digital formats that give you ROAS and CAC. And so bringing those things to sort of an old school medium to prove its value and worth in the marketing funnel and marketing mix is really, I think, what's led to our success. It's fascinating to hear because when I was coming up at Quest Nutrition, out of home was just like, um, you couldn't even talk about it, like type thing. It felt as though it just, there's no way to track it. Print, all of that it was all digital. And it made sense at the time. And it shocked me when I first came across you guys and first met you. What are some of the goalposts that brands are looking at to measure success when working with you? Yeah, maybe it might be helpful just through the audience if I like did a little primer on how it all works. Everyone can hear that and also be like, how is that possible? Let me back up a little bit and I'll make sure I address that. Essentially what's happening and it's, I'm going to keep in the context of our specific medium, which is these last mile delivery trucks traveling these dense urban areas. We have a GPS in every single asset we have under management across the country. The GPS streams to us through an API, the latitude, longitude, and timestamp of the vehicle in real time. And then using software on the back end, we are ingesting that and drawing geofences around the truck every single second. And those geofences are capturing mobile phones that have location services enabled. So if you have the Weather Channel, a dating app, Yelp, a lot of those free-to-use consumer-facing apps are able to remain free either by monetizing via selling advertising space or reselling anonymized location data on the back end. And when we capture someone's mobile phone, it kicks off our entire technology stack. So the first thing we're able to do is do a 30-day look on the mobile phone to resolve to the home IP address. And resolving to the home IP address where people are connecting to Wi-Fi during their evening hours allows us to ID stitch to the other devices that are associated with that individual. And that's really like a loss control mechanism where someone might be exposed Perfy's branded truck via their mobile phone, but then go home on their desktop and engage with the brand. And so we wanted to make sure we were sort of have this like 360 view into what was happening. Using the metadata on the phone, we're able to also resolve a lot of behavioral, endemic, and psychographic traits. So age, education, household, income, race, as well as what type of person is this? And so there's a looking for love category and we're doing 30 day look back on the mobile phone to see, does this mobile phone have a certain number of dating apps downloaded and have they used them in the past 30 days to a specific threshold that would suggest they're actively dating? put them into this category, whereas the organic shopper is all sort of geofence based. So we've geofenced off every organic grocery store. Again, we're doing a 30 day look back and checking to see has that phone been spotted in one of those organic grocery store geofences in excess of three times in the past 30 days. If so, high chance that they're an organic shopper, put them in this category. And that's really just important from like a, you got to imagine there's like a wide distribution curve of people you can reach depending on the truck routes and where they're going. So that allows us to be intentional about which brands we're pairing with which assets just to make sure we're over-indexing against that population. And the final element, which I think is probably the most interesting, is attribution. So if we were doing your website, for example, we'd be putting a pixel on your homepage and your post checkout page. And those pixels are listening for the same audience that were captured in the, the vehicle's geofence. And while it's cool for me to try to peddle a narrative like, hey, someone called the truck, then they converted, it actually tells you nothing of interest. What we really needed to solve for was what incrementally happened. Because this is just one touch in a media mix that has PR, 
digital, maybe CTV, maybe direct mail, maybe other forms of out of home. And so what we had to solve for was what incrementally happened, uniquely happened because this got added. So everything I just shared is how we measure the hypothesis group or the exposed population. But simultaneously, while that branded truck is going through society, we're going 10 minutes backwards in time on that GPS rack and running what we call our ghost truck, which is really just like a pin being dropped, to be honest. And we're drawing a, a geofence around that ghost truck to capture a population of individuals who have not been exposed to the branded vehicle. But in doing so, I've created a clean testing environment where between those two populations, all variables have been held constant. So equal like they've seen other forms of out of home, PR, digital, paid social. The only delta that exists is one group has seen trucks and one has not. And then what we're measuring and reporting out on is the difference between those two populations. So if 1,500 people converted in the hypothesis group, 1,000 converted in the control group, you'd be able to isolate and report back your XR media investment in these branded trucks with Agile, got you these 500 incremental conversions, which results in a ROAS of X and a CAC of Y. So hopefully that's a helpful humanizing unmasking of what's happening behind the scenes. But yeah, it's definitely been a pretty thoughtful, by no means is it one-to-one. -one. I would never posture that. It's really, I think from where we're standing, just trying to move the ball forward and get people that type of information like CAC and ROAS that they've grown accustomed to expecting from other formats. Wow. I was getting to that. I was warming up before I got to that, but holy smokes, my mind's blown. Um, I didn't know it was that in depth. A lot of five plus syllable words that I try to keep away from. But <laughs> my apologies. No, you're good. That was excellent. I under, actually understood. So when doing this and you're you're looking for the incremental lift because someone might have a mix of, as you said, PR, social, the TikTok video might have gone off. Are you fine? Like, I want to I want to gun to the format's head and say, prove your worth. Yeah. And like, really, that's our job. I, and to be honest, it's also our job to we're objective arbiters of data. Like it doesn't always work, right? There's different elements like how was the creative? How did the creative come together? Was the brand in a spot where it made sense? Did they have enough distribution? Things like that. But I think it's just made it more accessible, not only from like a price point perspective, which I also think is true of the format, but telling people if this is something they should consider leaning into more or not when it's compared to the other paid the other options in the market from a paid media landscape. What has been, like, with all the data you have from the hundreds of brands that you've worked with, is there an optimal, like, media mix that you've found? Like, oh, if you're going to be using Agile for a new product launch in New York, but even if it was Idaho, you'd probably want yeah. X, Y, and Z to pair up with it to be most impactful. Yeah, to be honest, like, especially when I think of all, like, my brand founder friends, I would never let someone execute outside of, I'm going to say, the top seven markets, unless there was a business case that overruled ROAS. And... That might just be, be me being a little bit of a performance wonk, but like essentially the population density drops off to a point where the CPM starts increasing and I no longer think out of home becomes a really efficient buy because like it's an upper funnel marketing tactic. You lose a lot of the targeting. Yeah, we can get pretty smart with our optimization and which assets we select, but the reason the CPMs are lower is because you lose a lot of that, like the minutia and the targeting. So you need for that with much greater scale of impressions and a low CPM. I think there's a few different trigger points or if I had to like thematically buck why people come to us, there's a few, I think, culprits one struggling with CAC post ios 14.5 if they're like very focused on their econ business the second is a newly launching in retail or trying to support sell-through and velocity at retail at which point i generally draw the line of you need at least 50 points of distribution in my opinion before i'd even consider it because obviously that distribution density it's all gravy the higher it goes up and then the final element is launching a new SKU and trying to educate the masses as to the reasons to believe and why we did this in a cost-effective manner.
I think your question was more like, what's the optimal, what have I learned about optimal media mix though? I think a lot of the rules of the road still apply where if we were to think of the marketing funnel from awareness consideration to purchase intent, this definitely sits on the top of the marketing funnel, right? There's not a ton of like direct response objectives. And I, I can give you a whole rant on QR codes and dedicated link trees and why I think they're awful for out of home later, but you definitely want to be thinking of this as a way to bring down the weighted average of your CPM to get someone, to get the audience through the top of the marketing funnel in an efficient manner. So said differently, if you are only doing digital, your CPM is probably higher and you're still providing the same function of awareness consideration. If you were to add out of home to the media mix, if you have a $2 CPM and a $10 CPM, you can combine those to sort of land in the middle, knowing that's an important prerequisite before people are in that purchase lane. There's a lot of different use cases. And also like all strip lineness is always exceptions. Some people put viral, you can do things and just get viral moments out of it and get our media. There's a lot of different applications for out of home at large. Do you find that most people or maybe prospective candidates or clients for you overcomplicate that top of funnel messaging when they're using your services? Yeah. So this has been like a pretty big evolution for us. I am not a creative. I'm definitely like a dollars and cents numbers type. However, what has, so like off the jump, we tried not to get involved in creative whatsoever. And I think what started to been the evolution and the change in that behavior is at this point, having done a hundred of these and measuring all of them, there's now pure information asymmetry where I've started to pick up on clear themes that equate to better outcomes. So now like we're very involved in the creative and yes, people always try to over explain their products because there's a lot of great things about the products, but you also have to remember the dwell times like six seconds or less and pictures, hero shots, those things are all, you just want people to remember what to Google. If it was like, was there enough shock value? Was it loud enough to grab their attention? And Google is going to hit the last touch attribution for all the attribution people out there that is still a good outcome in this context. And to just like riff on the creative elements, just to tease them a little bit. One thing that's big is color psychology. So one of our most performing campaigns used the color red in their creative stop sign red. And if you were to think, thinking back on that and then seeing it happen in a few campaigns, just what does red communicate to society? Brake lights, stop signs, red lights, all of them communicate stop and pay attention to your surroundings. And so when you're putting that on like a 30 by 9 medium, you see a thing barreling down the street, like you're not going to miss it. And you know, red's pretty aggressive. It's a harsh color. And maybe that's not on brand if you're, if you sell something that's relaxing in nature. But in that case, purple is an incredibly effective color relative to the other colors because it's the least naturally occurring. So it's only flowers and sunsets for the majority of like naturally occurring purple colors. So just by introducing it to the environment, it creates a level of contrast that's very intriguing and engaging. And so that exists. That's now like we've pulled a lot of those lessons down into decks. And like I said, we get pretty involved from how much copy is too much copy. Where should the logo be? Is it lifestyle creative or a hero shot creative, more performant? Should our tricks have different creative on them? The answer is no. There's all these sorts of interesting things we picked up just from experience, but I'd say more importantly, data. Very cool. Is there any legalities with out of home, especially on moving objects on, on roads? Like I know, I, I think there's like something with like phone numbers and QR codes and you mentioned QR codes earlier. What are the legalities of that? Yeah. So there aren't legalities in that context. I will say when we were doing digital screens, there was a ton because you could think potential road hazard implications. So we had to do this like 50 state survey where it wasn't allowed in three states. 
You could not display the color red in case it would be mistaken as a brake light. And you could not, I don't know what this is called technically, but you can't transition creatives. They need to be like an exact switch that can't like blend in and blend out. And they need to be present for at least 10 seconds before you change them. So like, fortunately, like we did the diligence on that stuff and a lot of it doesn't come into play now, but yeah, QR codes generally, I, not only from a performance perspective, but also we're not trying to encourage distracted driving. So any CKs, especially on the rear panel where the majority of impressions skew towards vehicular traffic, that's something we're definitely pretty adamant about. It's funny because there's always the trucks out there that say, uh, call 1-800-whatever if I'm a bad driver. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I guess that's more and on It's the... like, all right, are we going to pick up your phone? Yeah. So why is it that uh, you're against QR codes and link trees? Yeah, so a few things. One, I think, and it's like, I think a minority take for the industry, and it probably has something to do with us like having a different way to solve for it. But I think they first started getting introduced because out of home had no attribution and people were looking for a way to, to get something rather than nothing, even if it's directional in nature. So that like started mass scale adoption. The reality is when you're thinking upper funnel awareness tactics, these people have not been socialized to engage with out of home in this context. So is someone going to take a QR code out and scan a truck? Maybe, but you're also taking up creative space. You're also hamstringing some of the magic what agile does in making it not seem like an ad so there's a lot of interesting psychology we did a long-form behavioral psychology study and this is why we're cpg specialists 96.3 percent of people who see the branded vehicles believe that they are delivering on behalf of that brand and so the reason it's worked not only from a data perspective like from a logic perspective is people see these trucks delivering in market they're assuming they're delivering your product and so people are going damn they're moving a ton of product i guess all my neighbors must be consuming that and that it turns out with hard data to be a very influential reality this is where people are like, damn, I guess all my neighbors are trying it. What does that do to someone's propensity to pick up the can next time they're in store, visit that website, interact with paid social ad that they see later. But yeah, so QR codes, dedicated link trees, you're essentially asking top of funnel activation to have a direct response element. And it's not built for that. The dwell times are not long enough. If it does its job, people remember what, like I said, they'll remember what to Google and that's what it's there for. It's not something you can click through, right? So people are like grasp, we're grasping to try to find a direct response element to add to it under the guise of attribution. But fortunately, I think modern day, there's uh, there's better ways to be a part of that story. I have an analogy for when people are speaking to a top funnel audience, but asking for bottom funnel results. And it's going to a cocktail party, handing someone your business card. It's a networking event. So Expo East, Expo West, we go to the happy hours. Right, right, right. You hand someone your business card with one hand, and then the other hand, you hand them a contract. Like, let's do business. It's, and it's, it's, it's just such doesn't, a good analogy. It doesn't work that way. You have to build the relationship. And I think that more founders should be open to that. I mean, there's some great ones out there. There's also some that are a little overzealous with the result. And that's why my first question was, what are some of the goalposts? Because I'm quite curious. Like, someone might say, hey, I want to spend this for three months, and I want this many impressions, or I want this many clicks to my website, or this many organic searches. What are some of the things that like maybe work best, yeah. but, but also what's one of the ones that you just want to stay away from? Yeah, I think I'm with you. So I think just because of the like the ecosystem we operate in, the reality is there you don't have brand marketers, you have growth marketers. And they serve discrete functions, in my opinion. And I have empathy for that line of thinking, to be honest, because it's what optimizes for, am I going to have enough in sales to get to the Series A or whatever's next? So they're stuck in the short-term thinking flywheel. And I understand 
how the system has been designed that they need to operate that way. So the brand marketers, I think, have a much long, and the reason brand marketers don't get hired until a certain level of scale is because they're able to take a much longer view in terms of the value that's provided. Traditionally, when people have bought out of home, it's largely been CPM driven. So um, you're looking for efficiency. I think something that doesn't get embedded in that conversation, which is like a word to the wise, is if you're buying exclusively on CPM, what is being forgot about in that context? is I don't even know how to measure it, but like an impact score. So if a taxi, which is 151th the size of a truck advertisement, if they're going to, they can, in theory, quote, similar impressions, right? Which one is going to be more memorable, which is why attribution has been some element to our business, because we've been able to do side by sides and prove that out and improve the worth. I think if I'm going to drill down on like more tactical, what we look for, if you are surpassing an LTV to CAC ratio, of two in an out-of-home context, you are in the top 25% of activations. So um, it can't be held to those same standards, right? Because it's not the ease of clicking through. But I think that's just something that might be an interesting data point for people considering and trying to like benchmark what or ground themselves in a realistic expectation of what's accomplishable for something so high up the market. Yeah, I ask a lot of these questions, one, because I've always been curious and two, I'm a potential customer. Yeah, this is actually this is great for the audience. Yeah, I'm just doing the, uh, the quick hits. Yeah, I've been in the leads list for a minute here for not only Perfy, but other brands. So this is great. Uh, this is a great freebie sales call here around. But one thing that excites me the most about Agile is very dedicated, geo-targeted product launches in retail. I know right. predominantly D2C brands have gotten really dope with what you guys do. But for me, I've always thought about it from a, one, how can I drive more traffic into a store? And I know you mentioned yeah. earlier that you can geo-target or uh, you can geofence organic retailers and that sort of deal. But what excites me is a product launch now available at fill in the blank, pictures on the street and totally. send to the buyer. Are people doing that? And in, in, so I had no appreciation for this. And it goes back to me being way more like data focused. It has been an evolution and I definitely discounted how valuable that is. So when people are launching in retail, it's very common for the CTA to include the retailer in question. And it becomes a useful bargaining chip in the context of the buyers and the retailer relationships for them to show that you're taking the partnership seriously and, and really putting your money, at the end of the day, putting your money where your mouth is in driving people to their store. Yes, you have your own agenda, but if you were to actually think about it, you're trying to get them to the store. They're going to buy other things with that retailer most likely, and you've just spent on out of home partially for them. And so one thing we've started to do a lot more of knowing that how powerful this has been, and I've had a ton of fellow founder brand friends tell me a bunch of stories of how it's gone in, in meetings and stuff is we make certain that we're getting glam shots and photo shoots in front of retailers that they're partnered with. Also the aspirational retailers to just listen, like we got this huge activation. It's passing by all your stores. And so you're absolutely on the money. It's something that not being, I guess, a CPG founder, technically myself, I had no appreciation for, but a lot of this stuff and a lot of everything in life is really relationship driven. And I don't think anyone really gets too excited about, look, we're doing Instagram ads to, to try to drive people in store. There's just something about the IRL activation and the large format and the grandiose of it that I think really gets people excited. So you are thinking about it correctly. Yeah. I think one of the one of the reasons that excites me the most is oftentimes with the size of your trucks, that's typically what like the size of the truck that's delivering the product to the retailers. So going back to your, your psychology of 96.3% think it's the brand delivering, there's something there. I don't know what it is. You probably have all of the data, but 
if a Perfy truck is delivering to Wegmans or to any other retailer in New York, it gives it a little bit more of a validity. It gives it more authority. Damn, who is this brand? I got to check it out. That's one thing that really excites me about, like the retail kind of execution versus the D2C execution. Yeah, I'm with you. And I remember we were at Shop Talk and Warby Parker was talking about their retail locations as like loss leaders that were glorified billboards. Obviously, I think there's some elements like I want to look, feel and try for a higher AOV product. I think there's value to that, but they did do a long talk under the context of this digitally, we're in digitally native brands, the authority and legitimacy that comes from having a physical presence, whether that's a store, whether that's branded trucks, et cetera, it's just a legitimizing factor. It's if you're going to see that ad on Facebook, it's, oh, I know them, they're delivering, they're always delivering around here, things like that. So it's fascinating. I love psychology too. There's so many things I could riff on that like end effect and all this other stuff that I learned from going to a business school that is known for behavioral psychology and econometrics. So it's cool that where I landed, I've been able to, I don't know, design a product that harps on a lot of those things to, to drive performance. Yeah, I think that's cool getting all the foundation you need to get going and do what you do. A lot of it is psychology. I want to I want to punch in a little bit on some of the numbers when somebody executes with Agile. They see a truck. You have all the attribution and tools built in, but what does that do specifically for brands when somebody sees their ad on IG or Facebook or whatever else? Yeah, it's hard to paint such a broad stroke just because the variance in the markets and size of the campaigns. But I think I would probably push back towards the just raw performance. So like here, I guess I'll say this differently. I could sit here and tell you the average percent left in website is X and the average percent conversion lift is X, but none of that means anything to the client if it's not grounded in the context of what was the lift off of. So for example, we had a our highest lift ever in website traffic, 900% wrap up this week. Was an incredibly performing campaign because the awareness of the brands and the distribution retail was essentially non-existent. So it's lifting off of a low number. So cool, one went to nine, right? Whereas our best performing campaign ever lifted only 49% and it drove the LTV to CAC ratio was like eight. I'm probably going to keep going back to the performance element. It's also like how you're thinking about it. I've also had people who look at this and be like, based on that CPM, this is, this did exactly what I wanted. And I have, I'm so anchored in like performance and sales and stuff like that, that sometimes I think I probably do harm to a degree where I'm like anchoring the conversation. It's like, I didn't think this was the best outcome. And people are like, what do you mean? This is an incredible outcome. Look how efficient this was. So I guess it really comes down to what are you using it for? And I feel like that's a broad non-answer, but LTV to CAC is something that people, it's something that can be aligned across all those realities and still makes sense regardless regardless of who you're speaking to. So I tend to lean towards that the most. I'm going to ask a different way because it was I was intending to be like a layup thing for you. <laughs> so when- I don't need layups. Uh, well, I, I, I'm curious if there's like a number, but so when somebody sees a prospecting ad on Facebook IG, yeah. they see that ad the second time in different copy, they're more familiar with the product. Typically that cost per click is cheaper. Is there right. a number that you track with Agile for being that first impression? And then for them to sequentially see an ad based off of the geofencing that you do run towards that audience. Isn't there like a 38% drop in cost per click because they saw that agile? I think it's, you're not going to answer either, brother. It's all in the context of what CPM you're getting elsewhere and like the weighted average of that. So there's plenty of studies of if you augment digital with out of home, the effectiveness of both platforms increase. And Facebook has a long form study that says it increases like 13%, something like that of both channels effectiveness, as opposed to when you do them in isolation. But I'm going to go back to some people are getting really low CPMs on Facebook and the weighted average element no longer that thesis of pulling down a 10 to 
and you put it add in a two from out of home gets you to five. Sometimes it doesn't move as much when people are getting $4 CPMs on Facebook. So I know you're trying, I know you're going for the layout. I'm giving you a bunch of non-answers, unfortunately. Uh, no worries. I'm not going to send this in to be notarized or anything like that. We don't have to hold you to it. No, you're but, good. You're but, good. But, I just want to be a fair, objective arbiter. I, I want to talk about something fun that you guys do for business, develop, business development. The toy trucks at the events. One, Psychology. One, you're at every event. It seems I think that you have clones. And two, you always have awesome trucks that you hand out to prospective clients. Unforgettable. Where did that idea come from? Yeah, Paul was on a few episodes from Ouroboros and caught up with them the other day. He's like, Tom, you're one of three people I think about every single day because you know, my truck is right next to my computer. And the catalyst for that, so here's how it started. We started doing it as like a cool client service thing for people who are working with us. Oh, end of campaign. We wanted to give you something to remember us by. And the feedback for what's really not a crazy investment on our end and the amount of joy it was providing for people was really interesting. So I was like, okay, can we scale this as our marketing hack? And so we started going to all these conferences. The first thing we did was we got like an attendee list at FounderMade and we made a bunch of trucks for the brands. Turns out like 13 of the 100 something trucks we made actually showed up. Not the best outcome. And I was like, okay, can we do this differently? Then we started bringing a printer and live designing campaigns, either with people who stopped by the booths or people that we knew were having a presence there and just mock them up real quick. It's real fun. A lot of people have kids at home. They're busting their ass on their brand. And it's, it's a cool sort of like way to combine those two things in a fun way, bring something home for the kids. But the other element of it is it's like, again, pure psychology. It says agile on the top. It says what we do very clearly. I put my business card in the trunk <laughs> so that when people open it, there's a little bit of a surprise. And um, yeah, we're continuing to play on that psychology. One thing I'll share, if any of my current clients are reading this, I saved all vinyl scraps before we sent them to be recycled of all the campaigns we ran in 2022. And all of our clients will now be getting tote bags of upcycled vinyl that is fully made from their wrap. So always around this like surprise and delights thing. I think that's, it shows intentionality, thought and care. I think another way we try to weave it in is we like set Google alerts for all of our clients when we start doing business with them. And when we see pop-ups or marketing activations, we don't even tell them we just have the truck if we can make it happen to the event. So we did that for Gia's second birthday party. Melanie had no clue and people lost their shit. And exposure for us, it's awesome for them. And, you know, it's just really fun being a part of, I don't know, people's journey and this i think it's often thought of as like i don't want to say i made it moment but like this is real it's obviously i think the you getting on shelf is probably way more powerful than this but it has some of those same elements and it's just cool to be a part of that for people that's awesome the truck pulling up in real life is an epic touch um yeah put google alert to your clients if you're in b2b Nice marketing hack. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes as like a, you have to do this type thing. That's epic, man. I don't have much more. I know we're going a little bit into time, but what else do you want to share? Do you have any exciting things coming up in the future? What's you got? Yeah. There's a few things I can share. Yeah, I'll let you pick Polygon or Driving Performance Podcast. I want both, but we'll start with Polygon. All right, Polygon. So you had asked earlier, what do you do about Idaho? What do you do about these other markets? In Q1, I started to feel it on the sales calls. I don't know if it was the market turning or just like the growth 
of the brands that are the ecosystem that I was operating in. But retail was becoming a way bigger focus. And I had this thesis as market driven where, hey, the first thing that people cut when you tighten the belt is the fun online purchase. Get on shelf so that you're perceived as an essential good. Like you go, you're in the same place where I get my toothpaste or my underwear, whatever it is. And so when I felt shift to retail, people, it was like really keeping a lot of these people up at night. And at this point, like a lot of them are personal friends. I do really feel like I'm on this journey with a lot of people and I am doing a lot more than just media behind the scenes for the most part. But hearing that people were stressed about retail and knowing that we had a market level execution that I truthfully only felt provided value, especially at the emerging stage brand level for in like seven markets, like, all right, you got in Whole Foods nationwide. Cool. We let's do LA, New York, Chicago. How do you support all the other markets? And so using all the same technology that supports Agile's attribution stack, we started hand-drawing geofences only around where that retailer or that point of purchase was. So where there's been radius-based geofencing and there's been zip code-based targeting on paid social, we've now been able to go a level deeper because we have to buy all the location data for the entire country to to support the trucks and leverage the same technology to be able to capture mobile phones that shop at where your product is sold. And we can even get smarter about it to go, hey, I only want people who shop at Whole Foods more than three times in the past 45 days based on their location services. So I know this is a Whole Foods shopper. This isn't someone who was a tourist or had an emergency toothpaste need. And what we're able to do is pipe mobile IDs directly to paid social, to programmatic networks, to CTV, et cetera. And the guidance I give when people are focusing on retail is lead with contextually aware creative that optimizes for retail. So in this example, if you had launched in Whole Foods Nationwide, we'd be getting you all the IDs, typing them to paid social, and the ad creative would no longer be trying to get people to your website or convert on your website. It would say, for the first time ever, now exclusively available at Whole Foods, Dr. Perfect. And creating that identity and also acknowledging to that person, like, I know you're a Whole Foods shopper because your location data suggest that you are is a way to force the narrative. And so this originally got built as an emergency switch. Like I had a thesis that not everyone would need this technology, but everyone would want to know it exists because if you can I curse on this, if you fuck up your retail launch, essentially your brand screwed. It's like a three year rebuild and it's such a ladder for the retail game where like you need to crush Arawan to get into the Whole Foods, you need to crush Whole Foods to get into Target and Kroger and Albertsons. So I built it more just like I can help these founders. Like if shit's not going well, let's solve for the going concern. We can force it. Uncapped frequency. Let's just hammer these people and move stuff off the shelf while we find a more sustainable solution. And now it's settled more into a we can help people regardless of what they're trying to do in retail and the retail context. And so to just round that off, the reality is that you're now paying paid social CPMs again. So I maintain that the out-of-home execution still is the better buy in those major markets for retail support. And there's a lot of ways we design around supporting specific retailers, but for filling in the gaps across the country or doubling down in specific markets, those major markets, this is our solution for filling in the gaps. And I think more more like story driven. I think it also is us trying to make a little bit of a statement that we're designing for and around CPG. I think we know we will have sustainable com competitive advantage against out of other against other out of home formats because of the behavioral psychology hack that's associated with this intersection of CPG brands and last mile delivery trucks. And so if that's true and that's sustainable, there were a few different ways we could have taken it. We elected to start building specifically around the CPG ecosystem and build for their problems. And it tees up a third product, which will uh, I'll leave as a mystery, but we'll probably be launching towards the end of 2023. Oh yeah. It's exciting. Um, the product you're talking about, we try to solve for this on the marketing side for a lot of our brands. As some may or may not know, I also have a marketing agency. We work with a lot of food and beverage brands. Um, 
what we do is geo-targeted ads on paid social geared to, the creative is 100% about that retailer. We su supplement that with email and SMS geo-targeted to those places say, Hey, we're now available here. We've had some tremendous success, uh, particularly for Costco, where we plussed out a brand within two weeks. Like Costco's usually, usually their goalposts are a thousand dollars per club. Make the, and you want to get there as fast as possible because they do what's called like rotations. So you might be in Costco, totally. SoCal or Midwest or Northeast, but if you can gain a permanent rotation, now you're talking millions and millions of dollars. We were able to do something like that with the tools that we cobbled together to plus them out for that permanent rotation. What you're doing is very exciting. I definitely want to talk about that offline with you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, driving performance. You got, you got five minutes? Yeah. All right, so here's the play. We got access to an all-glass box truck. See in, see out. We are going to launch a podcast called Driving Performance. Guest list is still work in progress, but I think we know the short list. And essentially, what the plan is, one, if I ask people to hop on a podcast with me right now, I do think I could get a lot of my clients, but I think it would be a, as a favor, especially where I sit in the ecosystem as a vendor. So I was trying to design something that I felt like we're giving more than we're asking for. So the first was like, let's do a cool live experience, live recorded podcast in the back of this truck as it travels around Times Square. We are bonusing it up by putting the branding of the brand founder that we're interviewing all over the truck. So it becomes a little bit of a tentpole marketing activation, some like added value you free exposure and then the plan is we're going to end each episode hand delivering b2c orders out of the back of the truck filming ugc for that brand so that they can use it as paid or organic social content and like strategically and i'm happy to be candid about this i think it's about tapping into other people's spheres of influence people i admire and have more influence than ourselves, but in a way where we're creating both a cool life experience and an accretive brand activation without asking for anything in return. So we're trying to think of what the X factor is. Dennis, who runs a company called Vigilance, um, was like, you should call it the hot box and you guys should smoke a blunt in the back of the <laughs> truck and it fills up with smoke and gets more and more unhinged. What's that X factor, like hot ones where people like eat the increasingly spicier, spicier hot sauces. So I'm really excited about it. Nate Rosen's all over it. He's my right-hand man in terms of bringing that into fruition. It's going to be electric, and I can't wait. And it's on brand, right? Or in trucks. Yeah, I think I can't wait till you find what that extra little oomph is because like, I'm right. thinking like dunk tanks or something like that. Or like, anyway, I'm not going to go too much into my crazy yeah. thoughts, but that's but, sick, um, man. That's super cool. Yeah, so be on the lookout. It's going to be a freaking production, but um, just piggybacking on some of the successful people we've been so fortunate to surround ourselves and trying to do something cool and fun while we're doing it. So awesome. Big shout out to that vigilance thing. I think it's going to end coupon code sharing. Oh, yeah. I was a yeah, I got to bring Dennis on. If we somehow pull off calling it the hot box. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's illegal for 17 reasons, but... <laughs> If I go to jail in pursuit of making my company viral, like I have no remorse. It's part of what you signed up for, man. <laughs> awesome. All right, man. All right, Tom. Thanks. This has been a blast. Likewise. Thanks for joining us, man. That was it's been great. Awesome, man. Take care. Bye.